get that little girl and the kid. <laughs> Welcome to the Brown Petri Dish, here with Brandon Petrie as always, I'm John Brown, how you doing Brandon? Pleasure to be here John, how are you? Not too bad, uh, we have with us today Brett Thomas, how you doing Brett? I'm good, thanks for having me. Hell yeah, what do you got going on this week, anything? No, I have like no obligations comedy wise this weekend, That I'm probably going to do some open mics to get some practice in for some upcoming shows. Yeah, we're uh, going against each other next week, next Thursday. <laughs> the uh, oh, yeah. co-feature contest. We'll see what week she... is this? Like week 13 of the contest? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, we'll see if anybody gets eliminated this week. I don't know. It's literally been four months. Like The contest will be like uh, four months long. Yeah. God Pretty damn. crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah, supposedly this time he's gonna bring it down to four, and then we'll have our finals. So, but that's been said before. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to just start adding people out the woodwork or something like that, and just extend it even further. Yeah, I don't know what the benefit of that is. I don't know, man. I'm off this week, so I'm going to Garage Bar tomorrow night, and I might, I might go to LVT for the first time. <laughs> Never been out there. Oh, my roommate runs that, Brian Sternick. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never been out to that one. Do you have to sign up ahead of time for that? Yeah. Okay. But I live with him, so I can tell him. He's He went on a walk with me back like in an hour, so I could <laughs> tell him. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> I miss the good old days where you just showed up and crudely scribbled your name down with a pencil, and we'd all be there till like 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. I know. That one's really, it's a really popular open mic in Lakewood. It's like a staple of like Cleveland comedy. Yeah, that's I've never I'd never get out to Lake. I've been in Taco Tantos once. I hardly ever get out there because uh, I live like an hour away. So, Bill Squire was the first yeah. person to tell me about LVT. He asked me if I was going there after the Winchester. I had no idea what LVT was until he explained it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Garage Bar's been all right. I mean, it's uh, it's a cool little venue out in Willoughby. Uh, Probably. I remember the parking lot there made it seem like kind of iffy as far as a show goes. I was like looking at it and there wasn't any parking. There was a bunch of biker dudes outside. They were like, oh shit, man, how's this gonna, how's this gonna transition? But they got that little second level place and the whole basement area is kind of usually filled with people. Yeah, pre-COVID, I went and did the one that uh, uh, Pound Cake hosted with, with Bill and that was a good one. Um, and then... Uh, and then I went to the post-COVID one the a couple weeks ago, and it was like one dude brought the whole crowd, so it was kind of weird. There. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, it was all right. It wasn't awful, but could have been better. I, I think that's a cool venue, though. I was happy they stayed because a lot of times when a new comic brings all their friends and family, like they'll leave after they see their friend, but like most of them stayed the whole time and. I made it apparent to thank them multiple times for staying. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's such a lifesaver. I was about to talk yeah. shit on the dude, and Ray Highclack was like, don't, dude, you'll make him leave. Don't. <laughs> I'm like, all right. Because <laughs> he did some, like, he did some bit about, 
about like banging his sister or something and then he brought this girl on stage and said it was his sister and i was like wait what <laughs> like what the fuck is going on here that's she said, awesome. like give me a shout out that's probably not what she was hoping for yeah yeah he's to their own <laughs> yeah i know this uh weekend of funny stuff with kevin farley was pretty cool he's he's always funny and, uh dan brown i just met him for the first time he is he is pretty funny He's pretty cool. He's pretty nice. Yeah. Pete was funny. in a good mood. Unlike last last week. I think it was last week when Jeff Shaw was there and uh he mentioned he mentioned something about hilarities and Pete fucking went off. Started yelling and shit. <laughs> something interesting happened to me like as I was leaving work like an hour ago. Um that's comedy related. Um so like the, I was like walking out. And this uh, guy I know, like, he found did comedy, and uh, he's, like, an older guy, so, of course, he, like, brought up Carlin, and so I haven't seen him since then, and he asked me, he's like, do you think that people's uh, senses of humor has gone to shit nowadays, like, the past few years? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. What'd you tell him? What'd you, what are your thoughts on that? I was, like, thinking about it, and, like, I don't really know, because, like, I wasn't there, but I've heard from, like, older comics that, like, just like offensive stuff just never flew even back then but there's a difference i think between a joke and then like hate speech or something that's just like hurtful to be hurtful but like i do think like nowadays that like some people don't really look at the context of jokes they just like hear something they don't want to hear and then they get like mad about it and there's no if ands or buts it's you know yeah i think that I think that comes with the Trump presidency a little bit, honestly, because it's not, but it's not just Trump related stuff. It could be religious. Um, I had, I barely do any religious jokes and like, I, I did my joke, my simple joke about, uh, my parents making me be a boy scout and an altar boy. And like, as soon as I did that, as soon as I did that joke, this whole table at funny stop, just like completely stopped laughing at the rest of my set and all this. I'm like, like really, like you don't even fucking <laughs> care about anything else. Just as soon as they heard something to do with religion, they were done. I think um, there's a certain type of person that that gets into that type of a groove. I mean, when they start to hear something they don't like, they'll shut down and not really look at the whole picture, you know. And I don't know. I, it could be a geographics thing too, but I don't know. Like with your with your church jokes, like I, I don't really see a family going to like Sunday mass one morning and saying. Hey, let's go to the comedy club later. You know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't really seem to be something it's I could true. picture that crowd getting into. Yeah, and I've seen stuff like I've seen people do Trump jokes that have like, it's like nothing, like serious or anything about Trump. It's just like a general joke, and they just shut off. That is like a weird uncharted area, especially for like comics in like I don't know my category, I guess, or how our category, however you want to categorize it, but like. Until you really start to like make it, I guess you really cannot get away with much political stuff as just a general rule, and it sucks so bad because I would really like to hear, you know, other like comics that, of our friends that, you know, could make those types of political jokes and things like that and pull it off, but we really don't get to very often just because of the general crowd's reaction to it. Yeah, I wish we had more uh, the show. I think Brett was on it too. There's a show called the Snowflake Comedy Club that i did oh yeah and it was awesome because it was like a fully liberal crowd so you could basically just fucking say whatever you wanted to 
and it was it was awesome. But I wish I wish I could do more shows like that. That was the first show those women ran, Jenna Eastman and Leah. I'm yeah. sure the last name, but that was the first show they ever ran. And it was like I told them, I was like, "This is really well put together." Yeah, like, they, this was a good. Show. They had a packed house at a building, like at like in a what looked like an abandoned building in the middle of Akron. <laughs> like it was a rubber factory. It used to be a rubber factory. Yeah, I had no clue oh that God. place was ever there. Like I, it was it was nuts. I walked in, I was like, "Holy shit! Like what is this?" Wasn't it BYOB too? Yeah, that's kind of tight. Yeah, that was a really fun show. I did like nothing but religious and political shit, and they loved it. <laughs> oh, Brett, how long have you been doing comedy? You've been in a long time, right? Uh, yeah. Well, like, I'm still technically new. Like, I'm coming out on four years in January. Okay. Uh, I technically started like a year before that, but I had only done it like a handful of times, and I stopped for seven months. So I just want to start it when I start it, and I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You seem like you've been doing it a long time. I mean, you got your uh, stage presence together and shit. You know, like you seem just really well put together on stage. I appreciate it. I. Uh, it's kind of funny. I don't like to ever like shit on anyone, but I remember people used to like laugh at me, or not really like laugh, but they'd be like, "I don't want to go to an open mic because there's no audience." because uh, I'm not going to get anything out of it. And they really, and the, there's some people that like don't leave their neighborhood to do it. But like, I remember I, I've lived in Lakewood now for a little bit over a year, but for like two, two and a half years, I literally drive from like uh, Akron to Lakewood. And I wasn't even from Akron. I was from like a suburb of Akron called New Franklin, like the Porch Lakes area. So like I would drive an hour here and back all the time. And there'd be like five nights in a row. I remember I'd drive to like Lakewood and back. Yeah. It gets um, serious with the driving. Yeah, I would I long. would uh I would drive before COVID. I used I was driving like an hour to do shows on Friday and Saturday nights because I couldn't find anywhere to do shows on those nights. But like Monday basically Monday through Wednesday I could find a place around Akron or I'd do Ken on Mondays or whatever. Yeah. And, I remember in the very beginning, I mean, when you just Google open mics for the longest time, the only one that came up was Funny Stop. And so when yeah. I first started, I thought like, oh, man, so there's only like one open mic in, in Ohio. Okay, I guess I'll just go to that one all the time. And then yeah. you kind of network and you meet some people and find out where they're going. And for the longest time, I was really only doing shows out in Akron when I lived closer to Lakewood anyway. And then when I finally did actually go out to like the Winchester, I think was my first show in Lakewood everyone told me about all the other open mics out there and you know showcases and things like that so i started doing like uh east end bistro and like craft laughs and stuff like that and i thought dude i can't believe i've been driving you know as much as i have to akron to get the same stage time as lakewood and then as you go on and progress you kind of find out those are very different crowds so it really benefits to do both yeah yeah i wish i wish i got out there more um I mean, I had I had fun. I like the I like the uh, Lakewood comics that I've met and whatnot. Like, uh, yeah, I had fun at Taco Tantos the one time I went out there and uh, met a couple of them at Funny Stop and a couple of them at that garage bar place. So. The one thing about like different like kind of showcases, open mics, is you learn different skills. I think from the different types of shows you do too. Do you guys agree? Yeah, definitely. 
yeah. like I like the funny stop because like it's a club, but it's like low pressure, so you can really get like a club set. And I feel like that's where you really like tighten your jokes and you make them kind of can't think of the word like you clean them up and open mics are cool because you can just go in there and riff and talk about nothing and it's so low stakes and uh like showcase shows like east end bistro or great lakes or, like bill square runs where there's like an audience and there's like a way to get on those shows are cool too because you can try new jokes and if they work there they're likely to work at a club too yeah yeah i think uh i think like some people think that bar shows uh like aren't valuable or whatever. I think they are because I think it teaches you how to uh pull in an audience that you've lost. I mean, because it's at a bar you don't have them in the first place most of the time, you know, you have to pull them in somehow. Um and that I mean that helps because there are times that even funny stop where you're going to lose a crowd on a certain joke yeah. and you have to bring them back. So it definitely I, helps to like find certain jokes like you were talking about that will pull the crowd in and I feel like Anytime I've tried that and took it to a club or something like that, it, it definitely exponentially works better. And you that's where what Brett said comes into play, where you start to refine that joke after you try it at like some of the lower stake venues and things like that, where you really weren't expecting the crowd to follow you in the first place. Yeah. At least in my experience. That and, and uh, mics where it's basically just comics. I mean, that's like if I get a laugh out of a new joke at a mic where it's just comics, I know it's going to work at Funny Stop. You know, I mean, it's it's comics are harder to get a laugh out of usually. I mean, I it's know. also just like networking at open mics because a lot of people there will run showcase shows too all over like Chicago or Summit County and stuff. And, and um, so I think that's cool, you know. I did this show out in Cortland, I think. And uh, I got, I drove like an hour and 15 minutes and I got like a, I got like a hot dog and a beer or something like that. Nice. And that was when I was doing that uh, Dave Schwenson class at the Improv, and I told him about. It. He's like, "Oh, you're living the dream." Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. the first time I ever got like food or any type of real compensation was out in Mansfield, this place called Costa and uh, Costas, I believe it was the name mm-hmm. of it. And I mean, it was a really fun show, and all the comedians were great. But like for the first time ever getting something handed to you for doing stand up, I just remember staring at that plate of wings, just thinking. Man, this is this is the life. This is what it's all about, you know. <laughs> yeah, Finally, man. Uh, rewarded for my hard work. Grindstone, man. I'm I'm fucking getting the salmon every time now, dude. That's uh, nice. <laughs> that food is fantastic. I was dude, like, I, for, oh, go ahead. Sorry, uh, for me, I remember I was at Dave and Buster's, and I probably looked like an amateur because I walked up to the guy running the show and was like, "Hey, could I get anything on the menu?" Yeah, (laughs) I remember what I got too. I got sliders and baby back ribs. They don't fuck around there. Dave and Buster's is like a barbecue and a steakhouse. It's wild. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've never, I've never been to Dave and Buster's. That's kind of tight. Yeah, it's in the side room. They they don't run it there anymore. But this is a couple years ago. Yeah, I, uh, I was thinking the same thing at Grindstone. I was like, I'm not gonna ask. I'm just gonna try it. And ordered like the twenty dollar salmon plate. I'm like, oh yeah. They give you like some kind of limit. They're like, give it like a twenty ish dollar limit. They're like, don't order anything like crazy exotic. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't even browse the menu long yeah. enough to find it. Let me get the fourteen time. ounce fillet with uh, shrimp topping, please. <laughs> like, just go I mean, all out. They're willing to do it, man. <laughs> their, their food is killer. 
Uh, yeah, something pretty big happened this weekend. It's uh, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to talk a little bit about this. It's from the Today Show. President Trump reacting with surprise upon learning about the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg Friday night. Just died. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. As word of her death sent shockwaves around the country, the president was speaking at a campaign rally in Minnesota, touting the importance of judicial nominations, yet unaware of Ginsburg's passing, even as a supporter shouted the news. The next president will get one, two, three, or four Supreme Court justices. I had to. Many presidents have had none. They've had none because they're there for a long time. They tend to be appointed young. Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, stood, uh, stood for all of us. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden speaking to reporters after returning from his own campaign trip to Minnesota Friday. We should focus on the loss of her justice and uh, her enduring legacy. But there is no doubt, let me be clear, that the voters should pick the president and the president should pick the justice for the Senate to consider. Ginsburg's death sparking an historic and heated political battle, with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell vowing to move forward with President Trump's nominee to succeed her, offering the president a chance to cement a rightward tilt of the Supreme Court for a generation. And with the election less than two months away, McConnell says the Senate will act to fill the vacancy, even though he spent most of 2016 denying a confirmation hearing to Merrick Garland, former President Barack Obama's pick, to fill the seat left vacant by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia. President Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. Meantime, former presidents are paying tribute to the late Justice George W. Bush. So this is, so uh, McConnell made that statement like literally minutes after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died that he was going to bring it to a vote. I mean, that's yeah. so fucked up. That guy's such like a villain. It's like it's like he's got like little beady eyes, and <laughs> he's like, he has like a neck that he's like want to choke too. Yeah, I don't know if you'd be able to because there's so much skin there, though. I don't know. Um. <laughs> I feel like DeJoy McConnell and Roger Stone all look like they would get together and conspire to defeat the Batman or something like that. They're real creepy looking guys. Yeah, I don't know why, though. I thought it was so funny that Rocket Man was playing in the background during that. Um, I found that like, to be an odd choice, too. I'm pretty sure Elton John didn't okay Donald Trump using Rocket Man for his rallies. He's got uh, a habit of that, though. He just used Fortunate Son recently. I don't think he knows what that song's about. Yeah, and John Fogarty uh, sent him a cease and desist letter. <laughs> Jesus, man. Yeah, he's gotten, like, cease and desist letters from, like, 20 different musicians. Tell them to stop using their songs. <laughs> I can't. I still can't believe that R R B G had like merch and stuff like that. I was watching uh, like a YouTube like bio about her or something like that. And, I mean, I knew relatively you know little for the most part, but I didn't. I didn't know that she had like a whole 
clothing line of her looking like Notorious B.I.G. On all the shirts and yeah, dude, like uh, and stuff. One of my friends has a fucking RBG action figure. It's pretty sweet. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, she was. Uh, you realize? I mean, she was like a reoccurring role on SNL by Kate McKinnon for like ten years. I mean, I mean it's been a long time since she's been doing that. Um, but she's one of the best. I mean, she's one of the uh, most like renowned judges of all time. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen like hundreds of thousands of people show up outside of the Supreme Court when a Supreme Court justice died. It's yeah, really, she was like worshipped. Yeah, I mean, for good reason. She she had a lot of active change, and I, I think it's kind of cool to really know that much about a Supreme Court justice. I feel like most of them kind of fly under the radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole thing with this though is is just that it sucks that we uh, have to talk about it, but that's you know Republicans are pieces of shit, so. Um, I mean, it's just, they've all said, there's been like 17 Republican senators that have said, uh, that they won't, that they won't, uh, that they don't agree with nominating and, and, uh, confirming a Supreme Court justice in an election year, but, uh, they've like all but two, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski have all gone back on that in recent days, pretty much. I think we're still waiting on Cory Gardner and Mitt Romney, so hopefully... Hopefully we can uh, rely on them. Uh, but here's a uh, clip of all the Republican senators uh, from uh, Anderson Cooper. The elephant in the room is the very passionate position that the top Republicans struck to four, stuck to four years ago and the different tone that they are taking now. To remind you, there was a sudden Supreme Court vacancy. President Barack Obama uh, was, uh, was going to fill it. It was an election year, and the prominent GOP voices were adamant that it was time to slow down, to not rush to fill the vacancy that the American people should choose at the voting booth. Now, this is some of the, these Republican senators in 2016, particularly Senator Lindsey Graham, who paints an almost eerie picture of exactly what is happening right now. Watch. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination, and you could use my words against me, and you'd be absolutely right. <laughs> We're setting a precedent here today, Republicans are, that in the last year, at least of a lame duck eight-year term, I would say it's going to be a four-year term, that you're not going to fill a vacancy of the Supreme Court based on what we're doing here today. That's going to be the new rule. The next justice could fundamentally alter the direction of the Supreme Court and have a profound impact on our country. So of course, of course, the American people should have a say in the court's direction. I don't think we should be moving forward on a nominee in the last year of this president's term. I would say that if it was a Republican president. President Obama is eager to appoint Justice Scalia's replacement this year. But do you know in the last 80 years, we have not once has the Senate confirmed a nomination made in an election year, and now is no year to start. This is for the people to decide. I intend to make 2016 a referendum on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, that was uh, uh, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Marco Rubio, and Ted Cruz. You know, they're, they're the uh, beacons of reliability in the, <laughs> in the Senate. Ted Cruz's voice is, is just kind of shrill. I don't like his voice when he speaks. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. It's, <laughs> um, 
It's just crazy. They're talking about one of the uh, justices that Trump's thinking about nominating is uh, 39 years old. So be basically Supreme Court justice for the rest of our lives. <laughs> be great. So it, it is, uh, there is something, there is something that uh, Democrats can do. Um, and that's win the elections and uh, add two Supreme Court justices. I mean, that's, there's, uh, that's a possibility because the Republicans really have stolen two Supreme Court justices from Democrats. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? You think that's going too far? Or I mean, it really depends on what happens. I, for the most part, it does look like they are going to appoint somebody. Oh, yeah. no. Am I frozen? No, you're not. You're good. Oh, now you are. <laughs> going in and out. Well, shit. All right, you're All right. back. Damn it. Cool. cool. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about uh, Ted Cruz being on the list for uh, Supreme Court Justice nominees? <laughs> uh, we would just go back to biblical times. Women wouldn't be able to vote anymore. No abortions would happen. It would just, everything would reverse, I would think. That guy kind of takes his guidance straight from the good book. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, there's a lot of shit at stake. I mean, there's like you said, abortion rights, uh, gay marriage rights, um, um, Obamacare. I mean, if you have a six-three majority with conservatives, all of that shit could be at stake. So it's pretty scary. I mean, it is weird to hear them talk about overturning like Roe v. Wade and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's something you definitely like. You know, it's a possibility, but for them to bring it to the limelights pretty sketchy yeah i mean there's never really i mean i mean there has been but typically a supreme court doesn't overturn something that has like a 50-year precedent still going through covid you know we know from doing comedy everything's everything's fucked the crowds are light uh we have to wear masks everywhere we go people are wiping down mics and shit and trump's still having rallies packed packed full of people um i don't know i hope I like, I'm not going to say I hope people get it, but <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fucked up. Like, like he, I don't think he realizes there's going to be a lot of his voters that are like sick and not able to vote when it comes around because they're all going to these rallies. And when they go home, who are they fucking going home to? Other Trump voters, right? Yeah. Pretty fucking stupid. Um, but this is a story that came out this week. I thought it was pretty typical. The, the alarm bell sounding tonight from a former Trump official who served on the coronavirus task force, now blasting the president's leadership and endorsing Joe Biden's. It was shocking to see the president saying that the virus was a hoax, saying that everything's okay when we know that it's not. The truth is he doesn't actually care about anyone else but himself. Until July, Olivia Troy advised Vice President Pence on Homeland Security. I haven't read her comments in any detail, um, but um, it reads to me like one more disgruntled employee uh, who's left the White House uh, and now has decided to play politics during election year. President Trump doubling down. I'm going to pause that there for a minute. How many fucking disgruntled employees are they, are they going to have? Like, And how is that an excuse? Like, why are they disgruntled? You know? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of funny. If you have that many pissed off employees, there has to be a reason for it. Um, yeah, 
she goes on today on. on his pledge a vaccine will be here before we know it accusing democrats of being angry about it the vaccine is way ahead of schedule and now i'm being criticized on the vaccine because they're petrified that the vaccine comes in, you know, before the election. Do you expect the vaccine to be ready before the election by late October, Halloween it could, time? It could be. Uh, it will be right there. I mean, it's right in that vicinity, either before a little or just shortly after. That timeline's more aggressive than what health experts like Dr. Anthony uh -huh. Fauci are laying out. We will at least get an answer by the end of this year, December or November, perhaps October. I doubt it, but it could be in November and December, whether we have a safe and effective vaccine. And it comes a day after the president claimed the CDC director was wrong about how long distribution would take. It's going to take us probably in the order of nine months, uh, six to nine months. We're ready to distribute immediately to a vast section of our country. No matter when a vaccine is released, it'll take some time to get it to most people. But bottom line, the president's asking Americans to trust him over his administration's own scientists. It's not just about trust in our public health institutions. It's about trust in the recommendations that we're giving. Even as scientists say social distancing, hand washing and mask wearing will help, President Trump has held rallies with big crowds and few masks with another tonight in Wisconsin, a state today reporting a record number of new COVID cases. The president defending his response and insisting his biggest pandemic problem has been the PR. I think we did a great job with coronavirus, except in public relations. <laughs> and Hallie joins us now. Hallie, I want to go back to the top of your story. That former official, that would be the first person from the COVID task force who has publicly broken ranks with the administration, correct? Yeah, Lester, and she was involved in those task force meetings. In one, she says the president suggested maybe COVID is a good thing so he doesn't have to shake hands with, quote, disgusting people. The White House <laughs> says her claims are flat out inaccurate and adds she never expressed any concerns while on the job. <laughs> oh, man. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I just thought it was funny. He said they did a good job other than public relations. <laughs> We're only the country with the most deaths and not even close to the most amount of people. So that's fun. I just don't. Do you guys understand? Could you guys like support somebody and follow somebody that like says shit like that about their supporters? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I just I'm so glad I don't have to shake their disgusting hands. <laughs> so fucked up. The thing that scares me about Trump a lot is like how much merch he sells. Yeah. Like, people like, I don't know, I know it's a little off topic, but it's always on my mind when I think about him. It's just like how many people buys like t-shirts and hats like it's a sports team. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, and you see like, uh, you always see like when people have like, when people have like a Biden sign or something. And yeah. Their, and their next door neighbor's a Trump supporter. They'll get like a bigger Trump sign and put it next to him like but yeah man the the merch shit is crazy that's how he makes most of his money for his campaigns i mean it's, it's really nuts. yeah i i don't understand like they're the ugliest fucking hats <laughs> you could possibly buy i don't know it's just it's just crazy that he i i wonder if he actually believes that he did a good job with the virus I don't probably see yeah I mean, you know how, like, your ego is, like, not yours, but, like, just egos in general. Like, he probably is, like, 
no, they're wrong. I'm right. I did. You know what I mean? Because he probably has enough people saying you're doing a good job to where he's like, those people aren't my real friends. They're wrong. I'm going to listen to my uh, friend Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if I do stand-up and I don't get laughs, like, I know I do, didn't do a good job. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's, I guess that's just a narcissist way of thinking. And we keep losing Brandon. What the fuck? Damn it, Brandon. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it's uh, that shit's that shit's getting crazy. I saw somebody the other day by my parents' house had a Trump sign or a Trump flag. It said Trump twenty twenty, and then it said no more bullshit. I'm like, he's the incumbent. Like what? <laughs> like they act like he's the challenger or something. Yeah. Like he hasn't been president for four years. I would chime in, but I think I'm gonna sound like a robot. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, Trump thinking his supporters are disgusting yeah, and how yeah, they all look frozen. Oh fuck! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. Don't sign up with Wow. Never do that. Wow. It's like you're living in a sci-fi movie, like a dystopian sci-fi. I swear, dude. I mean, I. <laughs> and when we're talking about getting everybody vaccinated, and all I'm hearing is a robot voice talking about it, it gets exponentially scarier. Maybe if we move on from vaccinations. Yeah, maybe, yeah, we can do that. They don't want us talking about vaccinations. <laughs> yeah, of, so um, specifically slowing my internet down, like it's gonna make a difference. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just thought the beginning of that clip was what I was more interested in was that uh, uh, the part where he was the part where oh the lady was talking about uh, uh all the shit that he did and whatnot and then uh. And then uh, they said, they, Pence said it was just disgruntled employees. And uh, I keep seeing that on Facebook. Like, every time one of these stories comes out, like, you'll see in Facebook comments, well, that's just a disgruntled employee or whenever it was his niece. So that's just a jealous family member. Like, I mean, how many people are, is it going to take to, like, hate this guy for people to realize that he's a shitty person? Like you said, it's like a sports team. His supporters are never going to fucking be convinced otherwise so true they don't listen to any logic or reason we have our one non-trump related story of the week this is actually from a couple weeks ago but i thought it was pretty i thought it was pretty funny cool cool this is from uh to a shocking story a woman declared dead who turned out to be both alive and breathing the shocking discovery was made at a funeral home in detroit Right now, we're trying to figure out the condition of that 20-year-old woman. 7 Axe News reporter Darren Cunningham has a closer look at this shocking turn of events. A bizarre discovery here at James H. Cole Funeral Home, one that the woman's family hopes turns into a miraculous recovery. Paramedics from the Southfield Fire Department attempted to revive an unresponsive woman for 30 minutes, according to Fire Chief Johnny Menifee. It's not clear to us what led up to the 911 phone call. After a half hour, the chief says the 20-year-old was pronounced dead. In a statement, Chief Menifee said, quote, because there was no indication of foul play, as per standard operating procedure, the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office was contacted and given the medical data. The patient was again determined to have expired, and the body was released directly to the family to make arrangements with a funeral home of their choosing, end quote. But hours later, staff over at the James H. Cole Funeral Home realized she was still breathing. A loved one of the unidentified woman posted about the incident on Facebook, saying he received a phone call learning his sister 
was being rushed to the hospital because she had a heart rate of 85. The funeral home released a statement saying, quote, while it is our practice to not comment on open investigations, we can confirm we received a call to pick up a Southfield woman who was deceased. After receiving clearance from the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office, she was transported to our funeral home. Upon her arrival at the funeral home, our staff confirmed she was breathing and called EMS. Our thoughts and prayers are with this young woman and her family. So how does this happen? The medical examiner tells me it's not unheard of. He says a misdiagnosis of death can occur if a person is in a deep coma or if there is an inability to detect vital signs. In Detroit, Darren Cunningham, 7 Action News. All right. Man, that's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> My only, the only problem I have with it is it's not as exaggerated as I'd like it to be. I mean, like she just, they just kind of found like a heart rate. You know what I mean? It's not like she like sat up and started like walking around, scaring the shit out of the corner or something like that. Yeah. Uh, she's, she, I guess she, I guess she's still in a coma at the hospital. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, she, you know, she's, she's alive and like, that's crazy, but you know, you, you see it in movies a lot where somebody just takes like an adrenaline needle to the heart and all of a sudden they're Gucci. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy that the human body can do that. Like she was like dead for like three hours. Yeah. I wonder what kind of permanent <laughs> damage that causes though. You know what I mean? Like you can't just be dead uh... for a few hours. Saw Brett, Brett's roommate walking with his pants down in the background. That's. Yeah, Man. I'm so glad I, I wasn't shuffling through. <laughs> Once I switched to the phone, I just got a picture of John's face. Uh, yeah, my bad. That's uh, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, that new, I feel like the last time anything like this has happened is the 1800s. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like man. when they used to have like. They used to have like a person at all times working at the cemetery and they'd have a string in someone's coffin. So if they're still alive, they'd ring it and a bell would toll and they'd just dig them up. Is that real? I don't that know. Happened, but... yeah, oh, man. <laughs> I thought you were giving us some history there. <laughs> he, he's not lying. That was an actual thing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, but I, I, I don't know how that. frequently that happened. I know that they actually for a while were scared of that. So they did bury people with like a string and a bell and their coffin but i can't imagine that was a regular occurrence that's crazy i don't know it might have been i mean they didn't have the medical technology back then that's true i, I mean but then again i don't know how much technology it takes to pronounce someone dead i mean <laughs> that, yeah they have a pulse <laughs> i guess they're dead unless though. it's a real light pulse or maybe that person just was you know having an off day and, and pronouncing people dead I yeah. just imagine like a squirrel coming by and like ringing one of them bells at night while some like groundskeepers walking around and they're like motherfucker three times this week. <laughs> yeah, and I find it very fitting that it happened in Detroit too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and 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 the fact that there was like R and B playing in the background while the reporter was talking because he picked <laughs> some random like traffic light to do his story at, and there's just some dude bumping R and B music in the background. Yeah, Someone's probably going to get discovered that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll get into our uh, we'll get into our uh, comedian of the week. Uh, Brett brought us a clip of Daniel Tosh, one of my favorite comedians. I think he's pretty much uh, pretty much the king of being an asshole in comedy. So, <laughs> he's my all time favorite. Hell yeah. 
Um, he pretty much uh, put Joel McHale to shame and uh, made him quit his job on, on the soup. I think uh, I think Rob Deerdick too. Like I think nobody does the fucking internet video show better than Daniel Tosh. I mean that's no, but his stand up is great too. But uh, so why do you think he uh, is is one of your favorites, bro? Why did he influence you? Um, cause he talks about dark and like dark subjects, but that's not what's funny. He has an actual joke with it. Right. Um, not the bit that I, I picked up, but he has like a bit about how this little girl in his neighborhood died. And so he said, it was like on a road where, um, I'm butchering. I'm just giving you the gist of it, but like where people have been planning that cars are going too fast. So he said that people are like really reactive in nature. And so what they did was, was they put speed bumps there. And he was like, what a horrible way for the parents to remember their daughter's death every time. And like, he's also yeah. just really good at tagging jokes. And he's so good at like joke structure, making it natural. He's just the be- the best, in my opinion. Yeah. I kind of like the way he, uh, he comes at certain things. Like he'll have like a practical approach to solving issues with some of his jokes where they're yeah. obviously exaggerated, but like, it's still really funny. Like the, the one where he talks about how, like, you know, they'll have a Sarah McLaughlin commercial and, and they'll have, you know, all these pets in cages and it's real sad. Yeah. And they always have no problem getting them adopted, but like no one wants to adopt kids. And he just breaks <laughs> it. He's like, I'm not saying put the kids in cages. I'm not... <laughs> I, I just love him because he's a lovable asshole, man. Like, he's just like, yeah. like the, uh, his, I think it was his opening for one of his specials when he, uh, I think it was like Santa Monica or something. And he's like, he's like, I'm here with my people, uh, upper middle class and upper or something like yeah. that. And it was just, and then he's, and then he's like, uh, the, uh, people say money, money can't buy happiness. It can buy a wave runner. Have you ever seen a sad person on a wave runner? Like just <laughs> shit like that. Like, like he's like, yeah, money does make you happy motherfucker. You know, <laughs> like, uh, I love that shit, but yeah, we'll get into the clip and then we'll talk about it a little bit. This is one of my favorite bits that he does too. Life is about perspective. I see a handicapped person. I don't feel sorry for him. I'm like, Hey, it's like being employee of the month for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's half full. A pretty sweet parking spot. How'd you get it? He's like bullet in the spine. I'm like worth it. Low five, roll it in. You don't go high five unless you have a hill and a ramp, then get a camera. That's going to be pretty exciting to watch. You can laugh at this joke, handicap people like it. And if they don't like it, turn their chair around. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Stare at you, depressing us. You don't hear a lot about the charity work I do, and it's because I don't do any. You know what's better than tax write-offs? Keeping your money. That's just a fun joke to tell rich people. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, I work with Make-A-Wish all the time. That's an incredible experience uh, for me, not the kids that are dying. Yeah, they chose to hang out with me. They knew what kind of jokes I told. They were okay with it. I don't pander on stage, and I certainly don't pander off stage. And I'm telling you, honestly, these dying kids have the best sense of humor on this planet. Their parents, not so much. <laughs> but I don't care. As soon as I meet them, I start giving it to them. Like, you sure you're dying? You know this is my weekend, right? 
You're like, I'm dying. Like, all right, let's go. Don't cough on me, motherfucker. <laughs> they want to be teased like anybody else. They can handle it. Trust me, they've handled a lot worse. This kid I was hanging out with last year, a bunch, was 17. I'm like, this is awesome that you're dying now. You got this in right under the wire. If you don't know, the organization is 18 and under. So if you're dying of cancer at 19, they're like, hope your dreams are cheap. <laughs> if you're laughing right now, it's because you're a good person. And you realize how absurd that statement is to think that they draw a hard line, but it's funny to think they might be holding their doors shut. Like, you can't get in, kid, you're too old. And they don't even have to hold tight because the kids are so weak. Because the disease is winning. Don't feel bad for this kid. The first thing he said when he met me was, he told me I was his third choice. And to this day, I don't know if he was fucking kidding or not. <laughs> That's not cool. I'm healthy. I'm going to live a long time. I don't need that noodling around up there. <laughs> and if it makes you feel any better at laughing at these jokes, know that he is cured and healthy now. He's not. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but if some people need that, let them have it, right? Oh, he's okay? Oh, good. <laughs> you know me. I can't accept life. That's a perfect gauge for if we would ever hang out in a social setting. Know that if you've ever said any form of this statement, we would not. Uh, there's nothing funny about blank. <laughs> any form of that, know that I hate you to your core. <laughs> because I, along with some of you, respectfully disagree. You can accept that things are tragic and awful and still have a sense of humor about them. It doesn't make you a bad person, despite what some blog may say. Oh, there's nothing funny about AIDS. There's nothing funny about rape. Uh, yes, there is. If you write a good joke, there's funny things about it. <laughs> and some of you may be aware, I took a ton of bad press for making that statement verbatim. And then a woman screamed at me, there is nothing funny about rape. And I've never defended myself publicly, despite misquotes, mainly because I'm rich. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it. I make my living saying shocking things. There's consequences. I can accept that. And people wrote me horrible stuff. I hope your daughter gets raped one day and we'll see how funny you think it is. Well, first of all, she'd have to survive the abortion. <laughs> uh, I left that last part in because I think it, uh, I think, I, I think all three of us do uh, jokes about tragedy. And I think it's, I think to me, tragedy is like the most funny jokes that you can do. And it's the best for the comedian because you're working out shit, you know? <laughs> I think it's a, it's a big gravity thing. I mean, if you have a lot of gravity to the subject of your joke, I mean, granted, it does have to be a funnier joke to make it funny, but sometimes, again, it makes it funnier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, yeah, go ahead, Brett. Sorry. Uh, I love that Make-A-Wish joke so much because that joke has, like, everything, and, like, it's so tagged well, and there's, like, so many, prim like, jokes, like, different jokes in it. Like, he makes fun of people who can't, like, accept that the kids are dying. He makes fun of the institution because they draw hard lines to where who can get it. He, yeah. like, uh, makes fun of himself because that one kid was like, oh, you were my third choice. <laughs> and it's just so good. Yeah, man, it's it's got a lot of layers to it, for sure. It really spider webs out into just different categories falling under a same genre. I think that's kind of impressive to me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I think I'm trying to get better at is, uh, 
is you know adding all the different layers to jokes and have getting those little laughs in between like that's it's one of the most difficult things in comedy i think is it is yeah, yeah. i agree um but yeah man he uh he's definitely definitely is one of my probably top 5 top 10 comedians i mean he's he changed he changed the game with the whole with the whole uh, internet tv show but and nobody does it better yeah i mean his his stand up alone is hilarious his web redemptions are fucking hilarious yeah we haven't <laughs> seen anything from him in a while either i wish he would release another special or something but i mean i can't imagine he's out there working on that during the covid times oh no Stump. dude he's probably he's probably like like in his house chilling fucking <laughs> living the life dude if you were that rich would you fucking go out during covid fuck no he's probably listening to the brown petri dish when this comes out he'll just be like oh fuck those guys and just go go out and make another special <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know I, I often wonder like the ones that aren't touring like what they're what they're doing right now during this yeah whole like thing. what if this lasts another year or something i mean we, we really don't have any definite definitive you know way of knowing when this is all going to be wrapped up and when we can all hang out in like ridiculously large groups again is yeah. comedy just going to have to change or are we going to start doing zoom shows oh no man like yeah. even when i start smoking weed again man i'm bringing my own joint i'm not fucking <laughs> yeah i'm uh, not touching anybody else yeah <laughs> i'm not i'm not fucking smoking after other people and shit fuck that <laughs> i've noticed that hasn't stopped everyone's like wearing masks and shit like inside but like out in the parking lot they're all passing the same joint around i'm like yeah <laughs> really yeah. killed the whole point of wearing yeah. the mask and then... yeah like dude I'm, I'm glad i'm not smoking right now so i don't have to feel like a dick turning it down but <laughs> uh yeah i think that's about a wrap though we'll uh i'll get this i'll get all of brandon's mistakes edited and Get I'm it fucking out. it up. <laughs> We're gonna send a letter to Wow and be like, "This is what you did." And it'll just be a chopped up podcast. Yeah, don't get Wow Internet, everybody. Uh, yep. Let me be the first to tell you. <laughs> yeah, Brett, do you want to uh, give out your socials or? Yeah, uh, my Instagram's at Brett Thomas eighteen ninety six. Cool, cool, and that's about it. <laughs> cool you can follow me at john brown comedy on instagram i'm i'm giving up on people following me on twitter um <laughs> brandon uh comedian brandon petrie on facebook um petrified 205 on instagram i think and twitter rock and roll people all right cool uh see you next week we'll get better next week and uh brandon's internet connection will hopefully get better next week we'll find out the brown petri dish is created by john brown and brandon petri the outro and intro music created by jared bailey thanks for listening everybody